Welcome to episode 107 of the Canadian Prepper Podcast. We are recording February 28th, 2021. My name is Eric. I'm host of the show based in Southern Ontario. I'm a hunter, target shooter, ham radio operator, and computer geek. As a first responder, I witnessed an over-reliance on emergency services during major events, and I started a small preparedness company to help people get prepared for at least 72 hours, if not longer. My name is Ian, and I live on Vancouver Island. I'm a student preparedness, target shooter, and my farm's designated mediocre handyman. I'm Gavin. I'm an instructor with Ragnarok Tactical and volunteer first responder and regular panelist on the other CPP. The OG. All right, want to help support the show and keep the Canadian Prepper Podcast on the air? Buy some swag. We have both the Canadian Prepper Podcast t-shirt and the tactical Velcro patch at prepperpodcast.ca. All proceeds help keep the lights on and the backup generator fueled. Then if you're enjoying the show, please take a few minutes and like us on Facebook and submit a review on iTunes. Also, we want your feedback, good or bad, or just if there's a topic you want us to cover. You can email us at feedback at prepperpodcast.ca. All right, we've got some uh, hand-carded content for you in this episode. We're going to start off with some preparedness-related news articles. Next, we'll let you know what we've done for our preparedness since the last episode. And then we'll get into the main topic, Book Club Volume 1. Let's move into the news. Hopefully you didn't catch that uh, sneeze with the, uh, the camera or the mic there. All right, nope. news time. So uh, from the missioncityrecord.com, a Burns Lake man grabs links by the scruff after his chickens are attacked. Did you guys see that video? No. No. That oh, sounds kind of, very manly. <laughs> it it was actually It was pretty awesome in the fact that basically he's holding up a lynx by the scruff of the neck. He's like, bad kitty. He says, look what you did. And he, he walked the lynx around the chicken coop. The chickens were still losing their mind. There's dead chickens everywhere. And the, the, the lynx is literally just going, <laughs> didn't like it very much. But he's basically rubbing the, the lynx's nose and everything. And, and of course, off camera, he basically re- relocated the lynx, sent it on its way and everything else. I know what I would have done with it. Different story. But anyway, I guess Peter was all over him because he was like, oh, how, how could he be so cruel to that lynx? I'm like, did you just see what he did, did to all those chickens? But, yeah, all uh, the chickens, yeah. Anyways, it was oh, pretty boy. awesome because I guess this guy's notoriously tough and he just like grabbed the cat afterwards. Yeah. Picked it up. I mean, reminiscent of that guy that punched what is it a mountain lion in the face? Well, and he strangled it to death. Yeah. Yeah. They must be related. Absolutely have to be the Canadian version. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Like second cousins or something. Yeah, most likely. (laughs) All right, so I've got a a news article here. It's uh, it's editorial actually. Sorry, and you have another one, don't you? Yeah, no worries. It's just Canada's most dangerous city. So, article McLean's it gave you a ranking of your uh, city by crime statistic or crime rating or crime ranking, I guess. And it was, uh, you can break it down by armed robbery, homicide, anything you want. So, you just Google your city name and you can see where you rate. And um, it's a very interesting sh- uh, location and stuff. A lot, of, a lot of towns with names Prince, Port, Fort, or Lake in them have a lot of dangerous cities. And, yep. <clears throat> yeah. Small town, rural, rural uh, prairies, rural, um, rural BC and stuff. Low crime rate. So I'm, uh, I'm curious if you're going to overlay that with like a, a riding map, how that would work out. Yeah, I think you'd be kind of hmm. amazed. But uh, right. it's, it, it's interesting. Like my local town here was not even on the chart before. And they put in like a homeless shelter. And lo and behold, the petty crime went through the roof the very next year. It was so weird. Weird. <laughs> it's like, it's yeah. like didn't see it happening. Anyways, but um, yeah, it's just an interesting read, and, and for fun and, and games, you can Google your own city on it, so I threw the link in the show notes. Yeah, see how you're right. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, then email us, feedback at prepperpodcast.ca. <laughs> and then start looking for out. houses, yeah. yeah. 
All right, so I've, I've got a news article here. Uh, it's from the Winnipeg Free Press. It's uh, it's an opinion. Uh, so it just says Winnipeg, or it says uh, failing grade on emergency preparedness. So that's that's not a good headline to have, but uh, it indicates that in 2016 uh, the city of Winnipeg received a, a B plus, and then in 2021 they ended up with a grade of D in regards to their preparedness for floods. So just a quick article you can read over and get some pointers out of. And yeah, I don't know if it would be necessarily something I'd worry about in Winnipeg for flooding, but they, they do come up with some good points in regards to what happened with uh, with Texas and bursting pipes and, and water and, and such. So, I'm more curious to see how they deal with cold weather preparedness. Yeah, yeah. it's yeah. a little bit more relevant. It does, yep. Anyway. All right, shall we move into what we've done lately for preps? Yeah, so go for it. For myself, I met up with Alan. Uh, picked up some new lock picking tools. So now I've got some bump keys, some padlock shims, uh, a Williams key and a little decoder for, uh, for combination locks to start playing with and figure out how to use along with my, uh, my lock picks. Have you ever seen that little, um, trick to open a rifle combination lock on YouTube there? Is it a shotgun? No, oh. believe it or not. It's a, uh, precision <laughs> screwdriver will basically do it. And, uh, M Matt, who's used to be Matt McClatchy from Slamfire Radio there. Yep. Um, on his YouTube channel, he's got a like a two-minute video that basically shows it's like all combo locks for rifles are useless. Here's why. Dunk, and he just opens it right up. <laughs> nice. Yeah. And I was like, oh, well, there goes yeah. my plans. <clears throat> well, I mean, that's the, the neat thing about like lock picking. It's a pretty interesting hobby and, and skill to have. But then when you start getting into lock bypassing, as, as simple as lock picking can be, lock bypassing, you're like, there is no point to this thing whatsoever because, like, I stick this thing in here and it's sometimes yep. faster than using a key or a combination. It's, it's unreal. Well, those heavy industrial magnets right. on those sentry safes and everything else, it's just, like, there's yep. tons of videos out there that basically the guy just bypasses it completely. He's like, chunk, chunk, done. Yeah. Well, there's, a like, a, a newer, like, master lock that's made in, in China that uses a plastic core. You just need a big lighter. Just warm <laughs> it up and the core melts and you just pull the thing open. Amazing. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I guess they didn't, they didn't beta test that one very well. Nope. No. It only stops the honest thieves, right? Yeah, like everything. Yep. <laughs> well, as for myself, I took a week off of uh, preps, believe it or not. Well, you saved some trees if we were going to print the show notes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, basically I just did a lot of house maintenance uh, going on, not nothing, pretty mundane stuff. But I did uh, manage to chop saw a couple of the piles of those branches and stuff that I had built up over the last few weeks. Uh, only did two CGN deals. It was a pretty slow week. And, uh, uh, but I met a couple guys that are new listeners, so I'll mention them later on. Uh, nice. did do a range trip with my daughter today. You guys saw the pictures today. Yep. So, uh, yeah. yeah, no, it was pretty fun. It was nice because I had my own little uh, personalized child labor. I, I like to refer to it as my little brass goblins. And they, they run around the range and we, we pick up stuff afterwards. <laughs> and the idea is to leave the range with more brass than you came there with. And so it worked out well. Nice. And that was pretty much it for me. Yeah, I mean... Out. I had a pretty slow week as well, uh, compared to you know the previous episode a week ago. I basically just picked up rifle and pistol reloading supplies because ammo prices are going crazy. Its availability is getting scarce, and same with the reloading stuff. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, that's I was actually I thought I had enough brass, and after the pandemic first hit, and I was reloading everything, I was like, I need more brass. And so yeah, I've been kind of slowly still building it up. But it's amazing how fast you can sell excess stuff too. Yeah. With you taking the week off, I don't know how we're going to fill half the show. Yeah. Well, I could make up for it next week if you want. C- kind of rely on you to be like the furlot. Yeah. 
Well, Furlot takes half an hour though. That's just that's just a, a, obtuse <laughs> at that point. I mean, they're almost obscene. But that's about the length of your uh, what you've done lately for preps, though. Yeah. He's yeah. like, what? What he did this week in guns, and basically, yeah, he goes off on a tangent. I'm just like, wow. <laughs> anyway. Well, at, uh, at record time of about eight minutes and ten seconds in, I guess we're moving into the main topic, since you did nothing this week, Ian. Perfect. Because yeah. it's more time to talk about this sterling book. It's yes. true. It's true. All so, right, let's move into the main topic then. All right, so why are we talking about this one? Well, it's focuses around an EMP, so obviously a good prepper staple that we've uh, covered before in an episode, and I thought it was just a, a neat book and the fact that it wasn't overly tactical and it, he wasn't dependent on his heavy use of gear and his plate carrier and everything else. Um, it's more of an every everyday kind of guy or like an everyman story. Um, wasn't overly far-fetched. I think the odds of him sitting next to somebody with a working vehicle post-EMP was actually worse than the actual odds of an EMP hitting. So, yeah, <laughs> you know, it worked out well for him there. And the fact that basically instead of being like a global book about how everything's going sideways for everybody, it basically focuses on one character versus and the effects of him being gone from home and stuff like that, rather than like you know five thousand characters you have to keep track of. So I thought it was a very interesting book that way, and it was just a it's kind of a, almost a standalone book in that from that perspective. I think. Um, how'd you guys like it so far? Like overall. Yeah, I, I mean, I, w- I would agree with your assessment. Like, yeah, like it, it's plausible enough, right? Like, you know, some of the things that people, you know, prep for are a little out there and weird, and you're like, it could happen. But, like, you know, and this isn't likely, but it's still plausible. And if it did happen, it would likely be, you know, more localized like this was. I mean, still North America-ish is a large area, but, you know, reasonably local compared to, like, the entire world. I think it was yeah, relatively well-written. I think he got a little weird and descriptive in some strange places. <laughs> yeah, we'll talk about that for sure. <laughs> but, yeah, as a, as a whole, I, I, I enjoyed the book. I mean... Yeah, no, for yeah. sure. I mean, so, basically, for those that haven't read it, it boils down to an EMP strikes when a, a gentleman's on a business trip, and he ends up having to walk home all the way from Texas to home to Montana. So, it's kind of his adventures yeah. therein. Yeah, it's a little far-fetched in that this happens, his plane happens to be, like, right about to land so it survives, and he's sitting next to a guy with a working car. Like, there's a few... <laughs> well, to be fair, it was actually, I think it was on takeoff, and... Um, or, yeah. Yeah, so basically he just skidooed down the, the, the runway afterwards after yeah. everything shut down, and it kind of just went over the berm and then kind of came to a rest. So, I mean, I think if they're... Well, I can speak from experience. If it's coming in for landing and something like that goes off, you're done. Like, there's there's no flight controls or anything that works at that point because it's all computer driven so um, you best be on the ground when something like that happens yeah. Yeah, a couple of little you know suspend your belief for yeah. a moment but otherwise yeah but after that I mean I think after the, the after effects from the crash onwards it's it's pretty based like, it's pretty realistic I think overall like, there's nothing that's way out there once he, uh, he gets past the crash I think more than anything else but yeah. Anyway, so a uh, uh, decent build-up to the story. So it starts off with uh, basically uh, a couple state non-state actors uh, show up on both coasts. There's there's a, a little bit of chatter about a third ship that never got off the ground, but two ships try and launch uh, missiles containing nuclear warheads high up into the altitude, uh, into the atmosphere. One of them ends up detonating, the other one's a dud. And uh, still does the trick, though, and it creates enough of a, a pulse over North America to knock pretty much everything in the continental U.S. offline. And uh, I found it interesting right 
from then and there is like once it started into motion, there's really not much you can do to stop it. So if these guys are sitting in NORAD and they're watching this thing happen. What can they really do at that point? They're just observers, right? Yeah. yeah. And, and once so, the MP goes off, that's it. Well, yeah. So they they be yeah. sitting out. They're watching it go up at an altitude. Like that's peculiar. And uh, so they, they advise a few people, try and get a few people airborne and into safer places because they don't know where the missile is going to land originally. And then they, they see it's not actually arcing, it's actually just going straight up. And uh, so people start to clue in just before it actually happens. But for the average, I mean, it's not going to take much more than 15 minutes to get into orbit, let alone up to high altitude. So I'd say it's about a seven-minute flight for a, a rocket like that. So how are you going to warn the public at that point? Yeah, launch from within their boundaries. They have all the capability to stop a missile strike from, say, North Korea, but something launched, you know, within their, you know, boundaries and, yeah, straight up, basically, there's no no ability to stop it. Yeah, because, I mean, normally when it's arcing over from Russia, they like they can pretty much guess destination based on the, what they know about the missiles by the time it's, like, halfway up into the, the upper yeah. atmosphere. But this time, when it's just going straight up, they're like, oh, oh that's, that's odd. Uh, yeah. Bane, uh, just want to make sure that, just to clarify, there was no zombies then. No. So, <sighs> no, no zombies in this book, maybe next yeah. book. Other than the ones that were already in politics, but those don't count. <laughs> <laughs> or people with their smartphones, you know, like yeah. that whole thing. Yeah. yeah. So that being yeah, said, man. on the smartphone aspect, so uh, yeah, we'll get to that in a second here, but so the crash happens, um, obviously... From again, from personal experience, you can usually see them coming into land. And there's usually one every airplane every two and a half miles uh, in a nice little lineup for the runway. So once he gets out of the plane, helps his his seatmate uh, get out of the plane, who's been knocked out conscious, and he sees a few crashes every couple of miles uh, behind him, basically, and starts to put two and two together after that. Not so much as an EMP per se, but as a obviously this is not a normal sequence of events. And so he realizes that help probably isn't coming because he couldn't hear any sirens. He, he saw other crashes. So obviously, you know, at that point, we're, we're way beyond the capabilities of any sort of local help happening, right? So I would say after that, the, uh, the, one, of the one theme I want to talk about is the kindness of strangers, kind of recurring theme throughout the book. So he starts off by rescuing a seatmate who he just did some small chat with before. And then kind of they went, after they did the small chat, they went back to their iPhones and, you know, doing their thing. And then uh, once the crash happens, he kind of toys with it and then decides not to leave without a seatmate and then kind of grabs him and gets him out. Um, seatmate turns around helping him get set up later on, um, which is important as well. But um, yeah. once they get into the terminal, it was uh, interesting the fact that a lot of people were with, dealing with that continuation bias, which, of course, most people see regularly. Uh, but with a major emergency like this, they're all sitting around waiting for somebody to tell them what to do waiting for the smartphones to, to inform them as to what's going on and uh, waiting for the authorities to provide them with food, water, shelter, first aid, you know, <laughs> transport, yeah. and everything else. Yeah. It was actually, where's my it was stuff? Yeah. yeah, where's my stuff? So they're all sitting in the terminal <laughs> yeah. going, well, I'm, don't worry, I'm just going to catch a flight later today because, you know, they should have this sorted out in a few hours, so I'll just catch a flight and, and carry on my merry yeah. way. Meanwhile, there's like <laughs> five smoldering airplanes outside. Like, it. Like, even if the rest of the world is perfectly fine and it's localized to just this airport, if one plane crashes, I imagine it delays everything for hours. If multiple planes crash, that's got to be like at least a day, at least a day that the airport is not going anywhere. Hey, but yeah. I, I have like, important things to do and places to be. Come on, yeah. Now. yeah. Well, I just giggled because like, and he, he nailed it on the head because like, there's a couple of pastors are sitting there in the lounge going like. 
oh, these these cops are assholes because they didn't show up on time and they didn't, uh, you know, they didn't yeah. rescue us. And they, they didn't, you know, what's wrong with these people? These We pay them with our tax money, you know, they, they're getting all bent out of shape and it's like, maybe there's a reason they didn't show up, you know, and yeah. I just found it was kind of funny that they're just assuming that, you know, things are tickety-boo and so originally the, I think the, the main character was actually planning on staying in the terminal until his seatmate decided to cheer him up and say, you know, this isn't really going that well and so they they kind of uh, tried to get some first aid for him. It didn't work, and they realized that you know, help's not coming. So they decided to go back to his place. He has a, uh, a vintage Jeep, which works out well for this character. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so then they help him get back to his place, and that's where the book kind of really starts, really, because uh, up until that point, it's I think that's where the suspension of disbelief kind of stops, and he can get to more realistic stuff. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so the seatmate uh, helps him get set up with the the cart. So they start off by uh, realizing what's going on because he's taken a company briefing on it. Was it uh, like a kind of like emergency briefing on EMP and just vaguely in the, in the history of his company training or something? Maybe I missed. Did they ever mention what the guy did for a living? No, that's the best part. Yeah. Is you, you don't know. Like more normally, in a lot of these prepper books, it's like I was a special forces TAC operator. You know, back in the yeah. and and you know, it just so happens that now I'm the main character in this book, and now I'm going to go out and like slay the dragons, right? And this time it's like <laughs> I'm just some random office dude, and I think I'm. I think he was a problem solver for it wasn't the oil patch. It was something else. He, he didn't really specify, but yeah, because anyway. it's odd that he would have EMP training or at least like awareness training. Yeah, Cause that's not I, something you really do. But also, yeah, it didn't really help him other than to just piece together what may have happened. We've got a couple, a couple of people in the live chat indicating he worked for a power company. Oh, there you go. So, oh, that makes sense. Maybe I just missed that. Yeah. Yeah. So okay. So that would obviously come into play with a power company. That is a hmm. as a worst case scenario training thing. But yeah. uh, again, what are you going to do about it if it does go off? I mean, as a power co- company worker, <laughs> go home. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Let, let's get some yep. transformers on order. They should be here in eighteen months. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I can't place the order. The internet's down. Ah, <laughs> nuts. Well, that's the end of my day. Yeah, but what's interesting again though too, just like the Texas thing that happened recently is like, yeah, some major transformers go eighteen month replacement window. So, yeah, on this thing, you know, things aren't getting back to normal anytime soon. So, uh, once he gets back to Buddy's place, they uh, decide to maybe relocate him and his wife, like his seatmate there, as well as himself, he realizes he has to get home somehow and he's not catching a flight later that day, so they actually knowingly decide to go to the local Walmart because they see it, Walmart, because they see it's getting uh, looted anyway, so they figure they might as well get set up for groceries because his seatmate has no groceries in the house per se. He needs some stuff to get home, so they, they go on what I call liberate stuff. I won't say looting because it's not like they're stealing TVs, right? This is stuff they need to survive, so... Uh, he comes away with some canned food and uh, a twenty-two Marlin rifle. That's uh, pretty much it. And a box of ammo, I think, like a like a brick or two. Yeah. Probably a yeah, box of that Thunderbee stuff or Thunderbolt <laughs> or whatever it is. The, exactly. Whatever the cheapest stuff that Walmart probably had. Yeah, yeah so it's not an AR-15 with the uh, the you know Alcan yeah. Spectre or anything else on there with you know six thirty-round mags in his chest carrier or anything else. It's, it's yeah. a Marlin twenty-two. So, which yeah. I thought was a nice touch because more realistic because even if somebody had looted a store like a walmart or whatever they'd probably leave behind the 22 honestly if they were like stealing all the other weapons and stuff that would probably be one of the last things to get stolen i would think well that and i mean he, he has even offered a better rifle but he turns it down yeah because he's got to carry everything or so he thinks yeah. anyways so, you know he, he says that you know he's, he's good with the 22 and that's it and he doesn't want to take it from the other guy because they'll need it and like he'll shoot some rabbits with his 22 and that's it and that's because he's not planning on being a, uh, an operator, right? So, yeah. Um, 
So that gets them started off with the, one of the other main characters of the book, which is the cart. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <So, laughs> I think the cart gets mentioned more often than his wife in his thoughts, actually. It was actually it was kind of... Yeah, not in the descriptors from the uh, the author. <laughs> no, we'll get to those in a second. So the, uh, yeah, so the, the cart gets uh, built, so they kind of put together some bike tires and some spare plywood and, and metal and stuff, and they make this, this hand cart that's kind of like, you know, like a... The old, the old rickshaw type of thing uh, yeah. from from Asia, and so he basically he's pulling this cart behind him with all of his supplies, and that's how he's going to walk home because I guess there's not even a spare bike at this guy's place or anything else, and so they uh, they get as far as going to where his seatmate decided to bug out to, and then he has to walk from there. So um, then we kind of get into the other half of the book, which is uh, the wife. So what happens there is at the same time he's walking home, his wife is having to deal with the home front which uh, comes into play with a couple of other themes here, which I'd like to talk, touch on here, which is the importance of your uh, mags, your mutual assistance groups, and your neighbors. One and the same. Hopefully. Hopefully, Generally, yeah. So it turns out that, yeah, the wife, in, in very true fashion, doesn't know her neighbors that well. But they were on friendly terms, and they were kind of waving to each other. And uh, during the course of this emergency, it's nice to see that the wife gets to not only know, but lean on, and they lean on her a little bit uh, as far as mutual aid goes. Because uh, she's having to deal with the creepy local deputy who's trying to get into her uh, into her sheets there, and uh, she's also having problems with you know food harvest and bartering and everything else. And uh, later on in the book, we can talk about later on is the first aid for the son. So, yeah, it's a ongoing theme throughout the book that you know it's important to lean on people outside your immediate family because it's going to come into play. You can't sooner or later you got to sleep, right? So. Yeah, and you can't have all the skills and all of the stuff. Everyone's going to have to do their part. Yeah. So uh, back to the, uh, let's see here. Oh, yeah. Another part, as he first starts his walk, fairly soon into the book, he ends up running into this old lady who's, of course, just gone through the EMP as well. And she's stuck on the side of the highway. And I think she's been kind of sleeping in the ditch and not doing so well. And she's pretty old. She can barely walk. Um, so he has his first moral dilemma of the book, which is, like, does he want to leave her behind and let Okay. Oh, I think he's trying to Hold come on. back. back sort of? Kind of. Sort of. Okay, where are we off? Yeah, you were talking about did he actually save the old lady or not? Because, like, yes, he did, but did he just delay it because it looks like they're all going to die anyways and now that the son or whatever is going to have less food because he's got one more mouth to feed. Are you back? I think so. Am I back now? Yay! Yay! Alright. Anyway, so I think I might be on a little bit of a lag too, which isn't going to help. But, yeah. Oh well. The left anyway, so yeah, Barter for. Yeah. Oh, exactly. <laughs> so, back to the end. Did he actually save the old lady? Not really, but by the same token, though, he was able to use that service of saving the old lady to barter for anything else he needed. So I think he ended up getting an axe and a couple other things from the son, because the son didn't really figure he's going to need it in the 30 days before he starved to death. Yeah, they fixed I, up his cart too, and yeah. Yeah, so he. It's kind of interesting there. Uh, it does actually cover some interesting detail. I'm sure Gavin would love to talk about the stair- stairwell incident as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah some, like, I think the author did a lot of good things and like goes into enough detail in certain things. And like in the, the beginning of the book, there's almost like a forward that goes into like the technology and the stuff that was put out like by the government warning people about this kind of a stuff. But then there are other parts where they go into so much creepy detail like 
when the wife is waiting for him to come home on like the initial day and like the power's out and they don't know what's going on and she like puts on sexy negligee and puts on her makeup by candlelight like it gets overly descriptive <laughs> to the point where you almost feel like you're a peeping tom yeah that's exactly what i got from it too and then and then same with like this, this stairwell scene where there's this politician that got one of the initial phone calls describing what happened and everything you know and then you don't hear anything else about it and then it cuts to you know later on and she's dying in a stairwell covered in her own excrement and it goes into a lot of detail and as much as i enjoy a good politician dying in their own excrement story <laughs> alone and in a dark stairwell yeah like it, <laughs> it, it just there was a lot more detail in this than is is really needed to paint the picture because like it adds nothing to the overall story it seems like it was added for the sake of adding it and to showcase the author's distaste of people in government <laughs> <laughs> which again fairly realistic yeah <laughs> Anyway, yeah, the other one I, I thought was interesting too is the the whole self defense shooting scene. Like, so there's only one shootout in the entire book, and it involves like a 22 and and a shit bag with a couple of handguns. And uh, basically, it, it boils down to he's he's trying everything in his power to not shoot the guy, and uh, goes out of his way to like kind of talk him down or talk him out of it and everything else. And the guy keeps pushing, pushing, pushing. So he ends up, I think, dumping seven rounds into him or something like that. But yeah, <laughs> it was. Um, yeah, it's very interesting in the fact that, uh, unlike most prepper novels, it was very much uh, a hesitant to pull the trigger, literally, on that one. And uh, the guy actually, the the opportunity to shoot him while he was actually sick and passed out in a, in a vehicle, just stole his cart. He tracked down his cart, asked for it back nicely, didn't work, and things went downhill from there. Um, but there was very, very detailed. It was, it was almost like a 10-page ten yeah. page scenario, right? Well, and, and, you know, same again with, like, the wife and the creepy deputy encounter it got maybe not quite as detailed as like the her getting ready with the sexy undies but like very descriptive about like the taste of their lips or something you know and just like this is not a harlequin romance novel we don't need this (laughs) absolutely uh points out that uh with the politician that paints a shitty picture yeah Certainly a way to go. Oh yeah. Um, the other one I uh, I want to talk about too is the uh, the bodies in the rig as well. He's uh, searching for uh, shelter basically. He ends up not noticing the sign that said "dead inside" basically or, or "dead" written on the on the door. Yeah, if it was so a zombie jumped... movie. This would be where the zombies are. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so he, he just bypasses that sign. He's like, "Nah, it'll be fine." And he freaking hops in there, and sure enough, it's like flies and stench and everything else. And he's already in rough shape at the time, and it was a little. A little, mu- a little much, but still, I yeah. guess something you're going to run into re- realistically, because I'm sure a lot of people in that scenario would, would wait in their vehicle probably a little too long and either get trapped in with weather or whatever and yeah. starve out where they are. Yeah, so. we didn't need like six pages describing how much he puked. We <laughs> <laughs> needed more it, like nine or ten, right? Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. It's like that Team America puke scene, too, at the behind the <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, Anyway, but, uh, uh, yeah. yeah, so, but it was good. Like, I mean, so there, there's a, there's a lot of good descriptors that actually helped the novel, like the breakdown in authority and the continuing, bu- continuation bias, like I mentioned at the beginning at the airport, where people just assume that things are going to get back to normal as soon as this minor hiccup got overwhelmed. And, and, uh, 
it was just interesting the fact that uh, some of the detail really did help the book. Um, I didn't realize that once he crossed the Montana border uh, from where he wanted to go, he still had 400 miles to go. I didn't realize that state was that big, and I started doing some Google mapping of it, and I was like, oh, yeah, look at that. That's a, that's a big well, that's state. The, that's the crazy thing about some of the states. It's like some of them are stupid narrow but stupid long, so it's like if you cross it this way, it's like a couple of hours, but to go the other way, then others are just like, I mean, minuscule. Yeah. So after the the self defense shooting, I mean, basically it's it's pretty quiet until he starts running low on supplies and getting a little bit further north and f- further late into the season, and that's when the other kind of big moment happens as he runs into a very descriptive and very accurate uh, description of him going into hypothermia, and he tried six different ways to find shelter. One of them was the bodies in the rig. <laughs> One of them was a he had to break into a car like and smash the window to get in because it was of course locked. Because somebody in their continuation bias had locked the vehicle on their way out and decided to walk it. And so he had to break the window, got in there, and there's still snow in the vehicle, still cold. He's got wet because he got uh, he slipped into a creek. And now he's, like, dealing with severe hypothermia. And at the very end, he uh, he basically takes off all of his clothes because he's starting to feel warm all over. And uh, decides to start staring at his stomach while the snow is, like, hitting it and melting on his stomach. So... <laughs> you know things are going well at that point. So no. Totally uh, normal behavior, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Which is, is awesome because, you know, it's one of the things that people do when they're hypothermic is they start acting like stupid like that and start disrobing and it's one of the final stages, right? So I was like, oh, well, this is an interesting end to the book, but uh, nope, a couple hundred pages to go, so um, it was pretty good. So he wakes up in uh, probably the, the final big section of the book, which is the, the foul Tempest's yeah. house. And uh, <laughs> so a uh, lady of a similar age and uh, demographic uh, re- rescues him and... Uh, kind of recover, lets him recover for a few days in the house uh, while he's basically coming out of his hypothermic uh, coma and feeds him, waters him, and then basically tries her best to convince him to stay. Yeah. Tries to entice him with her womanly ways. Yeah, so uh, everything from naked tub scenes to whatever. Yeah. Was, uh, she was about as subtle as a sledgehammer with a couple of things, which was pretty awesome. But uh, anyways, it... Uh, dedication to his family which of course made him walk across four states but also yeah. uh, his uh you know i guess uh personal belief st- structure would let him do that as well as his love for his wife and everything else so he uh he is he does, tempted though he has to go on a walk to think about it <laughs> yeah to literally cool <laughs> off for a while yeah <laughs> and then he realizes this is not worth it and i mean i gotta be honest like if you're in the middle of the winter and you don't have any clothing you don't have any food i mean there are the temptation to stay would be there clearly right i mean Foul temptress aside, at least she's got food and shelter, right? Yeah. So you can still be faithful and get fed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, but yeah, uh, go home, said, see your family. Yeah. yeah. So anyways, he uh, decides to start huffing her. So luckily, she's got uh, lots of spare gear at her house because her husband's left her, and I think he was EMP and left in Atlanta at the time or something. Yeah, he may or may not have been visiting some other hussy. <laughs> So she, she was like, "Yeah, take his stuff if you want." So, of course, kindness of strangers. Again, he uh, he managed to get uh, gets ki- gets kitted up for the winter and uh, finishes his walk back to uh, Montana. Um, I think that's pretty much it. I mean, in the end, the the wife ends up shooting the dirtbag uh, deputy. The son gets stabbed in the interim because of uh, defending against the deputy, which leads her to depend on the local vet for first aid supplies, which again could happen. Um, yeah. Which, uh, yeah, pretty much takes us to almost the end of the book. But uh, this is where I kind of get angry with the whole thing because the wrap up of this book maybe was five pages. And he kind of mm. wraps about 15 different aspects of the book <laughs> real fast. Yeah. 
Hmm. It, it just kind of ends. Yeah. Like, and so basically, he gets home, and of course, naturally, his neighbors that he wasn't really overly chummy with to begin with don't recognize him because he's bearded up, he's skinny, he's kind of like crazy-eyed, and uh, they didn't really know him to begin with. So they're like, "Who are you?" And he's like, "Well, I'm I, I live here." And they're like, "Well, they're they're down the road at such and such's place." And so um, he ended up running down, meeting up with his family and everything else. But I think he spent about a half page describing the power restoration. So like how the power was restored to twenty percent of the East Coast five days a week for two hours a day. I was like, that's a little descriptive, but still not very helpful because it doesn't sound like there's a whole lot of power back. <laughs> and yeah. and that's that's kind of where he leaves it. And he basically just says, yeah, some food started to arrive at, at major cities, and he doesn't mention his own town, and that's the wrap. Which I thought, like, he could have actually spent another 100 pages kind of, like, winding it down, but I guess that's where the sequel comes in, which I didn't or, realize existed. Or just end it when he gets back with his family and don't go into the, like, leave it at the ambiguous... We don't know what happened, right? He he accomplished his goal, right? Like you know, when you do the the story arc when you're in English class, right? Like you got you know you, you hit your climax, and then there's a little bit of a, a thing, and that's the like he's so happy to see his family and all of that, and then like you, you wind it down a little bit, but you could have just left it right there. But then he does do the weird, very short wrap up that hey things go back to normal ish. And you're like, that's too much detail and nowhere near enough all at the same time. Yeah, like I know "denouement" is a uh, "denouement" is a French word, but uh, maybe that's why the Americans couldn't deal with it. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, you do have to wrap up the story at least a little better than that. So I, but the good news is he does have a sequel out that, according to Brad, he's asking if anybody's read the book. I have not. I just found out about the sequel about what a week ago when we had some listener feedback. Um, but it's actually called "Daunting Days of Winter," uh, and by Ray Gorham, of course, and uh, it's supposedly the sequel to this book, which I'm actually kind of interested to read because. It'd be interesting to see now that he's home how he's going to deal with obviously the crappy winter, no food in the house, no heat, no nothing. So apparently, I guess according uh, to Phil here, the uh, the sequel gets really weird. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> Weirder according, than according, the original. Yeah. According to Phil's been... comment, he got weird from reading the book, I suppose. Oh, yeah, I think he's trying to say it got really weird. I, I, I see what he means. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, I mean, maybe he's going to pay super-duper attention to detail of people starving to death. I don't know. Yeah, or uh, I guess maybe it'll turn into some of those other prepper books that are available on Amazon. Maybe he will go operator. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. But, Bring uh, on the zombies. <laughs> sorry. Well, I mean, and to be fair, like the EMP report from the EMP commission back in 2008 did say that they're anticipating a 90% die-off in the first year. And if it does go through the, a winter without a food harvest happening, then, yeah, there's going to be some starvation. So that's kind of yeah. be a given. I mean, right? the, the cold and the food shortages is going to kill off a lot of people. Yeah, because let's face it, a lot of houses aren't meant to handle that much cold weather for a sustained power outage, and yeah. lots of these climates aren't meant to sustain human life, generally. Well, I mean, you know, if you live out in a, a more rural property, you've probably got a pellet stove, or you're lucky and you've got a bigger wood stove or whatever that you can use and heat your home, or at least heat enough of the space that everyone can live in for, you know, the cold parts. But uh, good luck doing that if you live in the city. Yeah. Even if you have a generator, I mean, you're going to need a big generator to power anything that puts out heat, and you're going to eventually run out of fuel because that's got a shelf life. Assuming that the noise of the generator didn't attract theft or needy neighbors. Exactly, right? Like, yeah. yeah, and then you get all the other stuff. So, yeah, I mean, the city where the bulk of the world's populations live is pretty much toast in a couple of months in that kind of a situation. 
Well, and the other interesting thing I could foresee too is that yeah, it's going to take a few months to happen, but eventually a major power like the U.S. would bring back a lot of troops from overseas, and they would still have the ability to transport them back. Um, so would the military come into play for more of a policing role? Would it make it worse or better? Who knows, right? I mean, they would have to like actually hand out ammo to the National Guard. <laughs> yeah, instead of just giving them a fence and empty weapons, yeah. Yeah. Yep. But... <sighs> That'll be for the other CPP. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, it's tomorrow night. Yep. Yeah, so overall, I mean, I thought it was a fairly good book. I've read it twice now, obviously, because I read it once a few years ago. One of the listeners mentioned it about, what, six weeks ago? And then so we decided yeah. to make that the book club. And then it was worth a second read for sure. Like, I mean, you know, as much as we'd like to make fun of it, it still wasn't over the top. But, um, yeah, overall, good book, yeah. i say. Yeah, I mean, it was, you know, prepper porn that didn't, cross over the line into porn too badly. (laughs) (laughs) And not too often. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, no, overall, I'd say I'd recommend it for a read. I mean, especially if you just need some fluff to pass the time when you're sitting in lockdown or, you know, want to take a break from doing your, what we did in preps this week, just, uh, yeah, yeah, crack it open. It's it's just good, mindless fluff. Yeah. I've got a couple of listener reviews then. If uh, you guys are done with your reviews, I'll read those out. Go for it. So we've got one sent in from Scott, and just uh, titled Scott's Thoughts on 77 Days in September. It says, uh, my main comparison is one second after. Uh, you can tell both are based on the same report to Congress about EMP attacks on the continental USA. And and uh, it com- does a little comparison that one second after is more of a, a bunker, bug down, like bug in kind of, or a bunker down, bug in type of scenario. Uh, but they're remarkable, remarkably uh, similar premise. Uh, it's very interesting mixing the, the bug-in in Montana plus the get-home aspect without uh, zero get-home bag uh, plus the early explanation of what happened. Maybe oversimplified, but good intro. Uh, generally, I don't know uh, how much help I would expect from strangers. I think that might have been a bit optimistic, but also the level of violence and chaos might have been downplayed. Uh, I'm not sure what to expect, but I would expect worse. I also think the home uh, the homestead got off easy with the neighbor's big garden. Uh, one thing resonated with me was the uh, postcards at the end. We all prepare for disaster, but admittedly give little regard to rebuilding society afterwards. Uh, mildly functioning postal service and or ham radio network would be incredibly important to starting to rebuild society. Uh, makes me want to store my radio uh, unconnected inside a Faraday cage. Uh, I was thinking it's uh, it's a terrifying book, but possibly not terrifying enough. Uh, makes me want to, uh, to squirrel away more food and seeds. Actually, that's one thing I forgot to mention, the fact that he didn't have an EDC. And usually, like, that's usually a time for the author to, like, showcase their own personal EDC. Like, they have the SE3 with Mylar sheath or Kydex sheath. He didn't have anything. Like, he had a shaving kit. Yeah. All of his luggage burned up in the plane. Exactly. All of his luggage. He just left everything behind the plane, so he literally got out with a shirt on his back. So, that was actually an interesting tidbit, too. Like, you mentioned the EDC thing, so. Well, yeah, think about it. If you're in that situation, that's going to happen, right? Yeah. Yeah, there's a couple of people that had working radios and stuff like that. And, like, yeah, a ham radio and a Faraday cage would be great. But, like, all of your friends also need to have that as well. Otherwise, being the only guy with a radio does you no good. No. Makes you feel like you're doing something. Yeah. (laughs) But that's about it. Nobody's on the other end to hear you. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. Not a terrible idea. Just convince your friends to buy one and tuck one away, too. Yep. 
And we had another review written in by uh, Darren, and it reads, 77 Days of September begins with Kyle, a power company worker and family man whose moral compass never fails throughout the emotional stress and many physical challenges that lay ahead. His dedication to his family, the kindness of strangers, and sheer dumb luck uh, culminate uh, to a satisfying and happy ending. Uh, as the story unfolds, Kyle is harassed and beaten by three men. Before things get any worse, a good Samaritan miraculously steps in and puts an end to the violence. Kyle's savior and ex-Marine turned pastor offers up a hot meal prepared on a camp stove and a lesson in theology. Uh, we got? Uh, Kyle goes on to rescue a little old lady from the side of the road and shares his food and water with her in a demonstration of righteousness. One of Kyle's rare detours from his chosen path ends tragically for a stranger. Uh, considering Kyle's high principles, shooting a man to death, then uh, soldiering on like nothing happened, never giving it a second thought is unbelievable. Uh, later in visceral detail, his fidelity is put to the test when uh, temptations of a woman mount. Uh, Kyle's wife Jennifer's story is more a lesson in survival. Uh, she has to advantage a uh, oh she has her advantage a hand crank radio, a functioning iPod stored in a gun safe, skill in note taking, some fuel, proximity to a farm or food in exchange for labor, a source of fresh water, propane, heat, a gun ammo and a neighbor whose hobby farm uh, propensity for canning and stockpile of root vegetables is a blessing this has got uh, afterthoughts would ottawa get power back before the rest of the country uh, what percentage of canadian military vehicles and equipment would be affected by an emp and how would social order be maintained in regards to the individual having the means to protect themselves and uphold the rule of law well, I guess uh, first, first things first, yeah. actually, he, I forgot totally about that one scene where the guy, again, Kyle's suffering from continuation bias himself. He's got three sketchy-looking characters following him through the middle of town. He decides to go right downtown through a town after this has happened instead of, like, bypassing a major city. So yep. dumb navigation decisions on his part. He gets three guys chased there that's following him, and instead of pulling out the twenty-two Marlin and saying, back the F up, he's just like, hey, guys, how's it going? <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps I could give you a canned goods or something and you will leave me alone. And they're like, no, we'll just take it all. Thanks. Yep. And, you know, if it wasn't for somebody stepping in, he would have been like, the book would have been 15 pages long. Yeah. And I don't know if I would say that he didn't feel bad about shooting the guy. But he maybe, given his, his character traits, could have felt a little worse about it. Yeah, he was basically like, well, I was justified. Yeah. Going on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah, no, it was it was very interesting how fast that got put behind him. But uh, and he didn't mention it once. Never talked about it with his wife. Never talked about it with the, the foul temptress there or anything else. So uh, his questions though: Would Ottawa get power back before the rest of the country? I would say no faster than DC would. In the simple fact that yeah, they want to have uh, continuity of government. So I'm sure yeah. if the Canadian yeah. military has any functioning semi truck RV generation units, they would go to Ottawa first. Hundred yep. yeah, percent, I, I would think. I imagine there's all kinds of backup power things already put in place, and then yeah, all the power would go there to to get government functioning, so that decisions could be made by those that shouldn't ever make any decisions at all. <laughs> How do we get taxes still? Yes, yes. <laughs> most yeah. most important problem number one. Yeah, yes. yeah. And then uh, how do we take their guns? Yeah. Problem yeah. number two. Yeah, they and, they want us disarmed. Sorry, we're sharing a situation. I guess for sure. 
my hot take on the uh, what percentage of Canadian military vehicles equipped would be affected? None, because they're yep. so old. <laughs> yep. Well, yeah, it's it's like if it doesn't mean if, that they're going to run. It just yeah, means yeah. they wouldn't be affected by the EMP. If their illness isn't older, probably they'll run. But by same token, though, it's like they've done zero yeah. hardening for against EMP in the Canadian military. Yeah. Like but even the US, that those vehicles have been maintained. <laughs> yeah, like even the U.S. military has like uh, very few vehicles like that are EMP hardened. Uh, but the Canadian military has Sea Kings, which I'm sure predate <laughs> most things. Probably have vacuum tubes everywhere and everything else. So, like you know, I'm sure some vehicles yeah. will still run. Um, how would social order be maintained in regards to the individual having the means to protect themselves and uphold the rule of law? Well, situation dependent. I mean, yep. if a uh, EMP goes off over Omaha, Nebraska, which is always a stereotypical target of the U.S. because it's pretty much center of the continent, basically parts like myself would be on the fringe of the parts that are affected by EMP people like Winnipeg would be in the, taking the brunt of it. So I'd say it depends on where you are, uh, how bad the situation is where you are, and maybe, yeah, I'd say rule of law will be upheld as long as the thin blue line can be maintained, I suppose. Pretty much. Yeah. After I that, mean, you're kind of on your own. Yeah. If it happened here, I would instantly install myself a sheriff. There you go. But not after you put a couple stripes across your face and maybe put like a skull helmet on or something. <laughs> Well, I mean, you got to look the part. <laughs> right. It would be it would be at least ten pages of description, right? Yeah, yeah at right. least. Yeah, you got to get that perfect Mad Max outfit on first. <laughs> <That's> right. <laughs> yeah, I could use a few more studs on this cod yeah. piece, and then <laughs> where did I put that hockey mask? Yeah, yeah, the yeah, Lord Humongous. Yeah. 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 yeah, the Guy Fox mask. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, yeah. sure, yeah. sure. But yeah, I mean, uh, I'd say. The means to protect yourself shouldn't be decided by government. That should be decided by you. Because, um, yeah. like, your right to self-defense, despite what the government will tell you, is not something the government can give or take away from you. It's a innate right, just like, you know, the right to life or anything else. So if you're feeling threatened and there's no law enforcement available, then clearly it's up to you. But if there's law enforcement available, then obviously you're going to have to conform to social norms and deal with consequences yeah. if you... If you take things into your own hands, you may have to deal with some legal repercussions. But obviously, if there's no legal repercussions, then hey, float your boat, yeah. I suppose. But yeah, you you are the law. Yeah, like Judge Dredd yeah. style. You know? yep. yeah. It's all dependent on the situation you're in. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's pretty much it. Did we beat that one to death? Yeah, I think the, well, we probably could have given a little bit more detail, but we're not, you know, this guy. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's a good uh, a good recap of everything, and yeah, it's it's certainly got the live chat uh, chattering away and and discussing things as well. So I think it's been good. So uh, I actually can just ask if there's an EMP big enough to knock out the entire country. Absolutely. It depends on a couple things: height above ground and kiloton yield or megaton yield. Um, basically, uh, higher the blast uh, power and the higher it goes, the more area is going to be affected. And they actually give out voltage ratings based on the warhead strength and the height. And most machinery with a chip basically would be affected depending on their voltage resistance rating because surge, surge protectors won't do it, but it'll basically boil down to how much of a surge your individual circuits can take. So is there an EP big enough to knock out the entire country? Absolutely. Um, do non, I'd say bad state actors have access to them? Yes, there's actually a couple orbiting in the in the space right now. They are pretty sure. Um, but whether or not somebody has the balls to press the button is another matter because I guarantee yeah. whoever does launch that will be turned into a parking lot soon thereafter, but... Yeah. Yep. 
Well, and there'll be a bunch of other stuff that, I mean, affect that. I mean, I guess because, you know, how electricity and electromagnetism travels and, and all that. But yeah, definitely. Yeah, there's actually a lot to be uh, a lot to dig in there if you ever wanted to start doing some digging on EMP. There's uh, there's a big rabbit hole you can go down there for sure. <laughs> yeah, a rabbit hole in the prepper world. Come on now. Yeah, weird. Yeah, strange. And don't worry, Brad. We're going to talk about the next book here momentarily. Absolutely, we are. Yep, it's coming up. Yeah. Should we take that cue and move in the podcast challenge? Yeah. yeah. So. Do you really want me to suggest some books? Because, I mean, some of the ones I could suggest could get you put on a bunch of different watch lists. Yeah, you know what? Tell you what. Uh, let's just skip that one. We'll go to mine. <laughs> uh, okay. No, I'll say one good one that's sort of relevant. If you're ever in this situation, Left of Bang is a great book on situational awareness and how to read people to stay out of bad situations. So if you look at things literally... Left of bang would be before the bad event happens. So if this guy had maybe read this book and taken this to heart, he would have avoided some interactions with some people. Yeah. But tune in to the other CPP for books that will put you on a watch list. <laughs> right. Yeah, Brad pointed out probably a glass parking lot. Yes, that's what I was getting at because the U.S. Yeah. maintains a nuclear subfleet, which is not affected by EMP generally because they wouldn't be nowhere to target them. So there would be some repercussions involved with uh, any bad state actor that decides to take uh, on the U.S. with an EMP yeah. weapon. And Reagan um, and the whole Star Wars thing. Yeah. <laughs> Lasers and, from space. And Space oh, Force. Yeah. You never know. They might yeah. be able to stop it. You never know. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But that's all cl- classified for now. So podcast challenge. So next month's book is uh, going to be a Made in Canada special. Uh, he's a listener. He's an author. And it sounds like he's puts out some pretty good books. So it's going to be Antigenic Shift by Terry Blackmore. I put the link in the show notes for the Amazon page, but I'm sure you can find it elsewhere, uh, as well as Audible and everything else. But um, yeah, so we'll give you lots of time. It's about a month from now. We'll be uh, talking about that one. So give it a try. Antigenic yeah. Shift, Terry Blackmore. Yep, that's going to be uh, book one of the Pandemic series. So yeah. He's got two books out, but it's going to be the first one. And having never touched the book yet, uh, I see there's the Cityscape of Toronto on the front, so I'm assuming it has something to do with Toronto or something. I don't know, maybe. I'm not going to ruin it. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, upcoming events, nothing COVID. And uh, we'll move in the shout-outs. So I had a quick uh, quick shout-out to Darren. Uh, thanks for being a new Patreon. Appreciate it. Right on. As for myself, uh, new listeners, Dylan and Eric, because I did deals with both of them. And uh, one was face-to-face, and one it was his first deal on that other new website called GunPost. And he was he'd never bought a gun online before, and I was talking to him about uh, how we can do that in Canada, and he can't do it in the States. It was fantastic. Anyway, um, and just another quick shout-out here to uh, Glenn Tate, speaking of which. Uh, Glenn Tate from the 299 Days book series, as well as Prepping 2.0 podcast, is unfortunately suffering from a bout of cancer right now, so we wish him all the best in that, and uh, he did a little episode on it, his last podcast, but uh, hope him, I wish him a speedy recovery, and everybody should do so as well. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Alright, we'll move into uh, email and iTunes reviews. So... Hi, you want to take that one? Yeah, I'll run with it, yeah. So we've got uh, an email from John. It says, hello, everyone. My name is John. I'm a carpenter, sport shooter, a CCFR member, uh, hunter, or as one of you said, <laughs> an armed hiking, which uh, is usually what happens. Yeah, fair yeah. enough. Uh, overall outdoor person, future ham radio oper- operator because of the show. 
So awesome. Glad, uh, glad you're taking the course. Uh, I came across your channel a few months ago and have been working through all the podcasts. I do quite a bit of driving, so I enjoy the company of the panelists along the drives. Uh, I like the format of the shows, the news, the what everyone's done, and then the main topic. I always learn something from the show. I finished seven, uh, 77 days in September, and it was a good read. Interested to see what the next book is. Uh, I got myself a key smart keychain. Thanks for the recommendation. Uh, for the podcast challenge, I cannot remember which show it was from. The challenge was to have a way for charging devices. Uh, I made this from material I had laying around. We'll be using this at the hunt camp, camping, and when the power is out. Pictures are attached. So we used a, a small toolbox, uh, two 12-volt, uh, 5 amp hour batteries, uh, main power switch, uh, voltage display, a 12-volt outlet, USB outlet, a wall charger, uh, Velcro to hold down the batteries, a wire crimp terminal, and uh, still have to add some fuses and an LED light. So I uh, will get uh, copies of the picture up on the blog on the website. Uh, it's actually a nice little uh, nice little build. Sounds uh, like he that. is definitely more than a carpenter. That... I think so, yeah. Wow. Carpenter with some electrical skills. Wow. He, he says, I keep, up, keep up the great work and the dad joke's coming. I was going to say, somebody yeah. appreciates the dad jokes, finally. Yeah, don't, yes. don't encourage him. <laughs> don't. <laughs> so, um, I, on that note, before I forget, John, uh, drop us an email. We can send you a link to a uh, Dropbox file. We have it with a bunch of good study notes for the ham exam. Uh, yep. Might help you. Yeah, if you're on the, the course right now being taught by, by Al, there's a bunch of us on it. I'll just leave it at that. Yeah. <laughs> I've, I've heard some, some good and some bad. But, yeah. uh, very knowledgeable. Yeah. Very dry. That sounds about right for ham courses. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Trust me, it's fun once you get through the course and you get the license. Then you yeah. wonder why you had to learn half the things that you learned. But. I'm wondering that now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that's about many things, yeah. Fair enough. It's worth it in the end. Yeah. <laughs> All right. With that, I will bring episode 107 of the Canadian Prepper podcast to an end. Uh, you can find the podcast on iTunes, Podbean, Spotify, or of course your favorite podcast app. Uh, please help us out. Submit a review. It helps other people find us. We record these shows live on Facebook and YouTube. If you want an early peek at the shows, please subscribe to the YouTube channel, Canadian Prepper Podcast, and click the notification tab that gives you alerts when we go live. And you can reach me on ragnaroktactical.ca or on the Instagrams, urbexgta. Oh, I gotta give her that underscore, too. I forgot about that. Yeah, you won't find me on that one. <laughs> Not anymore, anyways. That's right. Um, you can reach me directly by emailing me at thewesternretreat at gmail.com and on gab at thewesternretreat. Uh, you can also find me on Canadian Patreon Podcast with Gavin. Uh, we record on iTunes and YouTube on Sunday or Monday evenings at uh, 9 p.m. Eastern. There you can find us discussing why government waste in society makes me retreat into a, a good book now and then. <laughs> well played. All right. All right. Uh, please check out uh, Rapid Survival at rapidsurvival.com. You can get me there on the live chat. Uh, and uh, thanks for uh, And you can also email me at feedback at prepperpodcast.ca. Uh, thanks for joining us this evening. And until next time, be prepared, stay safe. And keep learning.